This is a Business as Mission podcast. I'm Gaya Boyd, your host. So I began to see it as this dynamic activity that was unfolding all the time. And I had an option to become a player in this activity if I would learn how does it work. Welcome to our podcast series where we explore kingdom keys for business, life and work. I'll do that together with Bill Job. Bill lived 30 years in China where he witnessed God's presence tangibly in the business. You will hear some captivating stories. Bill discovered kingdom keys, but both of us are eager to learn more. So we will invite guests from around the world, men and women who are also hungry to experience God move in the workspace. What are their stories? How do they see God move? God is at work in the marketplace and we believe God desires to partner with us way more than we ever thought possible. May these conversations inspire you to connect deeper with God in your business, in your daily working life. Thank you for joining us today in this podcast. We are really happy and grateful to have Mike Beer with us. Uh, Mike also has a podcast. He's been around in uh, the BAM movement in the, for many years. So welcome, Mike. Thanks, Gaia and Bill. Good to see you guys. Yes. First time with you in person and first time to podcast in person with Bill. So love it. Yeah, Bill, welcome also. And uh, we have two people here on the table who have been involved like for over 30 years when there wasn't even BAM Business as mission was not really that known. Tell us, Mike, how how did you get involved? I would say there's two two ways I answer that, Gail. One is uh, it is uh, it was totally by accident from a human perspective, and it was totally sovereignty from a God perspective. And and what I mean by that is very quickly, my background was 15 years in the pastorate, and um, I left that to go into business because I wanted to be where the lost people were, frankly trying to figure out how, how all those things fit together, right? Ministry and, and business. Uh, I was invited to go to Kyrgyzstan right after the Soviet Union collapsed. When I got there, ironically, to teach at the State Medical Institute. And when I got there, I found something I had never even imagined, and that was an entirely Muslim country, totally open to me, and I could be openly Christian because I was not there as a missionary. I was not even suspected of being a missionary. I was just a business person. And so... That is kind of how I got my foot in the door. And then from that, I, I consistently just felt God opening one door after another, saying, you know, follow me into this. Mm-hmm. And that was back, Bill and I were talking earlier, that was in 1994. And a lot's changed since then. So, Well, Bill, I mean, we hope we have a few followers eh, for the podcast. But uh, for some who maybe hear this the first time, you went to China, right? I went to China in 87 and accidentally fell into getting a business started and was not a plan. And then we saw the, just the activity of the Lord just grow out of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike, what kept you in this movement? What evolved? Yeah. So I, in the beginning, I wouldn't even describe it as a, as a movement. I didn't think of it that way. I, I didn't know anybody else was doing this. It was just a door that God had opened for me. And that had been his pattern with me, always taking me to places uh, different places in my walk with him that I, I didn't know existed. In the pastorate came about by accident. Going into business came about kind of by accident. 
Kyrgyzstan came about by accident. So it was, it's, it's one of those things where once I was in the flow, if I can use that word, once I was in the, the thing that I believed God was doing, I, I had no desire to get out. I was exhilarated every day. I've never been more excited in my Christian walk than those early days of business, what became known as business as mission. So a pastor becoming really excited about business. Can you explain a bit more? Yeah. Uh, because business can be kind of like, well, I mean, it's not really ministry kind of thing, or it's, are you really in, are you really, you know, pastors are missionaries. I have a mission background, you know, we were called, we were sent out, we yeah, were blessed out sure. from the church. and. Yeah. So it's interesting when I look at it, I go back when I became a pastor, uh, it was in the University of Tennessee where a group of guys and I, not knowingly, launched a church. We wouldn't have called it that, but that's what it was. And so from that moment forward, I was kind of in pastoral ministry, uh, went to missionary training school, moved down to South Carolina to start another church there. And what I began to understand, what the experience was for me personally, and this I got to be careful that I don't point this at anybody that's in pastoral ministry, but for me personally, while I loved being a pastor, I was frustrated that I could not find a way to connect and, and build relationships with the people around me that were lost. They weren't coming to church. I mean, even in those days, Hilton Head was maybe 2% Christian. And so they weren't coming to church. They weren't going to come to church. And I've never been a proponent of the uh, what I always call the Tuesday night mugging session where you go door to door trying to tell people about Jesus. And so I began to pray about that and ask the Lord, how am I going to reach these people? And, because when I would go out with them to business people, uh, when I'd meet with them, they would, they would attribute the gospel to my job. And it just was incredibly frustrating that they would say, well, yeah, of course you'll tell us about Jesus. That's what you're paid to do. And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm paid to do. That's my life. And so I began to pray, say, Lord, how do I reach these people? And over a period of maybe a year or so, just wrestling with this, God finally said, I want you to become one of them. And so I really began to argue that with him, uh, kind of a little bit like Moses in the burning bush. It's like, no, not me, must be somebody else. What do you mean? And I, I kept saying the same thing, same word over and over, become one of them, become one of them, meaning go into business. And Finally, I said, I, I just, Lord, why would you have me do that? And his answer, the argument ended with this. He said, that's what I did. I became a man that I could redeem mankind. And so I said, okay, if you can do that, I can become a business person. So I left, discovered that I had a marketable skill, and, which I didn't know I had, and then went into business. And almost immediately, uh, the, the doors of, of sharing the gospel began to open up for me, literally around the world as I was traveling for business. And it was just as if God, well, it wasn't as if, it was God literally answering my prayer. This is how I want you to reach these people. I had no idea yet about the integration of business's mission. To me, it was, uh, it was like one chapter was on ministry, the other chapter was on business. I had no idea yet that they were really all one, one thing in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. I will tell you this. All of my ministry friends, particularly from seminary, called me up when they heard I had left, quote, the ministry, and they wanted to know if I was still a believer. They felt I had gone shipwreck. I'd given up my faith. I'd, I'd become a Judas. I mean, yeah, why would the pastor leave his church, right? <laughs> exactly. It, it raises It raised a lot of questions. And finally, over time, they began to listen to my explanation, and they, they began to support me in it. How was that for you, Bill? It was similar, uh, largely misunderstood. 
Nobody back home really understood or supported what we were doing in the early years, including myself. <laughs> and so I was being dragged along into this. And uh, once you get a company started, then surviving is the first big goal that you want to reach. And so you're spending all your time trying to figure this out. And in my case, I had to go through this brainwashing kind of a issue wherein I had previous thoughts placed there, ideas that I picked up that turned out to not work in the real world. And so I had to find things that did work. Give an example, an idea you picked up that didn't work. I need to be the hero of the story. So part of the educational fruit or result from my, uh, my journey was that I need to work hard, I need to believe hard, I need to trust hard, but ultimately it's really gonna be me delivering the goods. And now I'm in an environment I know nothing about, the business realm, but uh, I'm in another country and I've got 100 people, 200 people depending on me. And, and it felt like the weight was so heavy, it was literally hard to breathe sometimes. Mm -hmm. Now you're in this business world and you see this kind of thing of ministry and, you know, gathering people. It didn't work, but... I hear you, Mike. You felt now it works. Only partially. In the second phase, so pastor for for um, 15 years, uh, business person for 10 years, enabled to, to share the gospel, open doors literally all over the world, which I loved, but I never was putting it together. To me, I had not gone from being a pastor to anything more than just being a, fa quote, faithful layman, uh, which I'm still living in this dichotomy. There's ministry and there's the rest of us. There's church work and there's the rest of work. And so it wasn't until I went to Kyrgyzstan that I saw these two things come together. And that's, I always refer to it as the, for this was I born moment when God said, no, it's not different chapters. It's one story. And it's still the same story. I'm writing it. Look what I'm doing. And, it, and that for me was a revelation from this dichotomy, this, this divided worldview that I had that said, You know, you, you, business is a, at best a necessary evil that you do to pay the bills. It does get you out with lost people, which is great. But what about ministry? So I was still living in that until Kyrgyzstan. And then it was as if the veil was ripped from my eyes. I was like, ah, this is all one. And it was that for me, was the, that was the, the moment that all began to make sense. Well, I, you know, some of our listeners, I think, can identify these two worlds And I think also a new generation, they're like, of course, how does this fit together? You know, the seeking of an, what I see in the younger generation of how do I have purpose in my life, in my daily work? Yeah, I, I think, you know, everybody, I mean, we're, we're wired as human beings to want to make impact. You know, we, we're, it's built into us to want, really to want the kingdom which is the manifest will of God being done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, that's, we're, that's in us, even among the unsaved. It's still there. But in a believer, that really is what you desire. But as Bill mentioned, there's a learning curve, and it's really steep at times. And sometimes you find yourself bumping up against this dichotomy, and you mentioned young people, this next generation, which is really my passion now— Uh, it's not to do more of it. It's to, to disciple more, to teach more, to encourage more. They're so far beyond where either one of us were 30, 40 years ago. So, Bill, you had have many wonderful stories of, of seeing the two really merge. I mean, that's why 
we were like, let's do this co-hosting together. Or I invited you into this adventure. Um, when did it dawn on you that it's like, man, this is business world or this working on the here, you know, the here and now in my daily working life, I can make impacts. When did it dawn on you? I can use a simple expression, and I'm sure it took a, some period of time to get this, but the transition from living for God, which is what I basically have been trained in, to living with Him. It's not complicated, but it's life-changing. When I began to live with Him, instead of trying to force my sense of what He was trying to do on Him and on people around me, I began to follow what He was doing, And the weight went away, the leadership from himself, he began to then show me what he was doing. Then he became the big problem solver. He became the main resource of the activity of the company. And in his actual solving of the company's problems, people saw him. They began to significantly encounter or see the reality of who he was, and they began to come to him. And then, so as the weight went off for me, he became more, the Lord himself became more successful. Did you have something like that, Mike, that you... Yeah, in some ways, Bill, my my experience was less about starting a company. I've started probably 25 different companies in my career, but it was less about a company and much more about a biblical, theological, personal journey that's parallels yours, right? But it was never just in one place. I mean, you, you, you know, you had the, the weight of the business in China and the hundreds of people that work for you. And I can't imagine that, even though I, was, I did work as a senior executive for a company with over 100,000 people, but it wasn't the same. For me, it was much more of a, I'll use the term intellectual, but I don't mean that as dry, boring. It's like learning to think right. I'm convinced that one of the great things that Christians still do not understand is what it means to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So And, because you you are pastor, theology, so it's the thinking. How do we think? How, I mean, I like the thinking part, you know, too, because what we uh, be believe ideas tend to get feet. That's one of my kind of life uh, threats, um, how we think. So can you explain a little bit more how, how, this, how we can bring the two together? I think it's a, it's a brilliant point, by the way, the fact that the way we think does impact what we do. Um, one person said, um, thoughts have consequences. It's just that simple. And I always think of it in, in the—I used to use the word paradigm— which I don't like because it's been so overused. So now my new world word is worldview, which is also becoming... It's the type of classes, and often it's subconscious. It's, it's totally... Su aware. That's, that's exactly right. Until we become aware of it, like Bill was describing, I thought I was supposed to do stuff for God. Well, that was his worldview. And then God led him through, no, let you do stuff with me. Watch how this works. And, and that was me as well, different, different journey, but same point. And, and I'll, I'll give a silly example, but uh, my girls were both born on an island. And so they were raised on the ocean and they lived on the beach. And when, in their world, anything under the water that was round was a jellyfish, which would sting you and it was terrible. So we're up, uh, we're, we're camping in the mountains when they were still little. I want to say they were like two and four, three and five, this, those wonderful ages. And they were, they were down in the river, the stream in the mountains. And all of a sudden, my oldest daughter comes running up screaming, jellyfish, jellyfish, jellyfish. 
And I thought, what? This is the Tennessee mountains. What are you? There are no jellyfish up here. So I ran down to the water to see. Well, she was looking at a rounded rock underneath the water. And in her worldview, that could only be a jellyfish. It was quite a revelation for me to take her hand and put it in the water. And she could feel what a, what a rounded rock was. Well, all of her reaction was based on the way she viewed life. And it was automatic. It wasn't thought. It wasn't deliberate. And I think that as believers, not just believers, but we certainly, we're locked into our world paradigms, our worldview, until Jesus shatters those and says, it's like this. I mean, he did that. Think about him and the disciples. That, that was the constant. I mean, how many times did he say, have I been with you guys so long? Well, he knew the answer. People say he was frustrated. Maybe he was. I'm not sure. But he, it was this constant breaking down of the way they view things. I view business to be like that. That if I view business as just a way of paying the bills, and it's secondary to, to being a pastor or a missionary or a nurse or whatever. Then it that, stays a jellyfish, right? It's, that's exactly right. It's just a jellyfish, and I'm going to run from it. I'm going to recoil from it. You scream have, away from it. Jellyfish, <laughs> <laughs> It's business, true. Jellyfish. I mean, here, this is a ridiculous example I use, but it really is accurate. When I was in missionary training school, thinking I was going to be a traditional missionary, I... Um, I was, I was introduced, nobody ever said this, but you got it pretty clearly, that, that in the callings of God, there was a hierarchy. And so if you were the highest call, you'd be a missionary. In other words, if God really, really thought you were the hot stuff, oh, he'd make you a missionary. That I was, was called to missionaries. Exactly, I was up there. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And so you look at this, and you think, okay, that's the top of the heap. If, he's, if he loves you, but he's, he's just kind of okay with you, you can be a pastor. If he, so he was kind of okay with you, Mike. Yeah, I was just okay. I wasn't the greatest. I was the next level. And then you say, well, then if that doesn't work, he's, he, he kind of likes you. He loves you because he has to, because he is God. Then you could be a nurse or a teacher. And then below that, if he, you're in by the skin of your teeth, uh, you're barely tolerated, then you can go to business, in business. And then I would always add, and, and then beneath that are the lawyers. <laughs> and, so, and so it's a silly illustration, but I, I see that in the body of Christ where we honor the missionaries. We honor the pastors. We kind of honor the, the mercy workers. But when it comes to people being in business, they're treated like walking checkbooks instead of the largest army the church could ever mount for battle. I always uh, say entrepreneurs, business people, you know, they're gifted with seeing opportunities and creating opportunities. Mm -hmm. So how can this gift be used within the kingdom? Oh man, that's that's a that's such a loaded question. I wish you'd weigh on this bill, but we'll do it together. I, I look at this and I say, number one, when, when we're even missionaries or pastors, we we still have blinders on. We don't see opportunity, and many times we're afraid of seeing opportunity. We even think being creative is is a violation somehow of the kingdom, and and yet God is a creator. And I'm made in his image. Therefore, by definition, I am also a creator. I'm a creative individual. And that's the entrepreneur who sees opportunities. They see what can be. And they, they have the, the compulsion to do it, to try it. You know, the word itself, it's a French word that means one who tries things, who undertakes. And I think that's, the, that's, a, that's a huge benefit to the body of Christ, and particularly in the church, if we could learn to listen to the entrepreneurs, instead of seeing them as heretics, we might actually see them as, as pioneers. And creating new ways for people to... Well, business's mission is really biblical, right? It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam was put in the garden to work it. He was, he was the world manager. Business has always been there. 
But when you when you look at what the church has done to it historically, we pushed it aside and made made us into what I refer to as walking checkbooks. We're there to pay for their ministry. I like to give. I love giving, but I don't want to pay for your ministry. I want to I want to be in ministry. I want to do ministry, and that's what God said to me. He said, "In business, I'll I'll give you all the business, all the ministry you can handle." So, how do you see it expressed through business, Bill? I mean. We have heard more stories when we, you know, when you follow this podcast. What comes to mind? The thing that comes to mind was a feeling I had when I I noticed the way I was experiencing day-to-day life. And I was 10 times more likely to experience God at work than when I went to church. I began to wonder why that happened. And then I came across the idea, oh, I know why. I actually need him at work. <laughs> I mean, we have a whole set of details of problems, issues to solve. It just never stops. If I'm thinking correctly that the company is the Lord's company and I'm functioning as a steward of it, then it makes perfect sense to communicate with him about his company's problems. And in that process, I and all of the employees get to see the actual reality of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It makes a difference in the real world. And so we found that to be a very powerful way to explain the gospel. I had to shift my definition of the gospel. I actually went overseas, I believe now, with the gospel of sin management, meaning I thought that their problem was they were uneducated, they didn't know about sin. I'm going to go teach them about that and help them get educated and find Jesus as the answer to the sin problem. Now I think I'd rather present the gospel of life, the life of God itself. That's what we're offered. And that's what they were seeing actually in the problem-solving experience of God being involved in the day-to-day issues of the company. Then they could maybe translate it to their issues at home, that God might be involved with problems with their neighbor or the car being broken or whatever issue that God might be interested in those small things Precisely. in life. Yeah, once they got the definition of God as being personal, interested, kind, capable, good with his hands, <laughs> then a lot of opportunities to invite him into their lives became apparent. So making business teaching you that it's okay it's about the spirit there's a spiritual realm but that faith and god is also about the machines the concrete the is that holy you know is that part of god's world how how would you i, I you know what bill says right i mean the, the vast majority of people in the world have no concept that god loves them much less that he cares about their life And when they step in a holy building, a church or wherever, okay, kind of, maybe I'm in his house. We know that's not true, but there's this this remote, distant view of God, and he really doesn't care about your lawn, or he doesn't care if your electricity went off, or he doesn't care if your machinery's broken, or if an order didn't go out on time, or your neighbor. He's not interested in that stuff. Well, Jesus, his entire life on earth demonstrated that he's interested in every detail. I think about the, the wedding in Cana. I mean... He cared that they didn't have wine. What's more basic than that? But he cared. And by the way, he's apparently a great winemaker. But but you see the point? Mm-hmm. So you you 
did the math on the wine, right? How was it? How many bottles? Nine hundred and bottles of wine that he brought to the the party, the wedding, and it was during a conversation where he asked me to explore his personality. And he phrased the question, well, what does it tell you about the personality of someone who brings 928 bottles of wine to the tail end of a party? <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, you're not the guy I thought you were. I mean, <laughs> there's a real adventure to unfold in this. Can you help our listeners understand how can they put on another pair of glasses, you know, spectacles? Yeah. I think, the, I think first of all, before you put on a different pair of glasses, you have to have the ones you're wearing taken off. Oh. And that's not something we're particularly good at, but God is incredibly good at. And if we'll ask him and trust him, uh, not just trust him in the sense of generic faith, but actually rely on him to take me down this path, he will begin to strip away the false notions, the, the, the inaccurate lenses, so I can begin to see the way things really are. I mean, think about the, the, the blind man who was healed that was healed in stages, right? At first, he only saw men as trees walking. And I think that's kind of where I still am. Uh, but he keeps taking the scales off. So I think part of it is just, Lord, I'm not seeing life as it really is. Show me life as it really is. He loves to answer that prayer. And I think the second is to start looking at Scripture and ask yourself, look, look at religion, the church, in scripture and say, where are, which one of these is not like the other? Mm -hmm. And you start discovering there are many religious things we do, patterns we follow that have no basis in scripture whatsoever. Now, an, an, another question, uh, maybe a bit a turn. Um, where you, you've been around many countries, you, you know, that's a reason you sit here at the table, you spoke at our Business as Mission Congress in November here in the Netherlands. Um, can you give an example where and how you saw God manifest through a business in a context in a country? Oh wow! There's uh, so let me let me give you a couple uh, of examples, and and these are all the businesses I've worked with around the world are relatively small, so they're not hundreds of employees, and they're not big mechanical challenges. So, I mean, it's a, it's a very different perspective, but same message that Bill's talking about. And I think about one guy in particular, he was in Indonesia, his name is Yusman. And when we would help, and that's primarily what we've done is help nationals start their own businesses for the kingdom. Um, usually they start with just surviving economically, but they then learn that same thing we're talking about. God is really interested in this business. He really cares. And so we always ask them in their developmental stage, their planning stage, would you write down what you believe God is wanting to accomplish through you in this business? May or may not be right. That's far less important than the fact that they learn to think that way. And so this one guy, Yusman, uh, in Indonesia, was uh, he said, well, I want to have a motorcycle repair shop. And if you've been to Indonesia, and that's where actually Bill and I met for the first time, uh, it's a great business to go into because almost everyone in the country rides a motorcycle, usually 10 or 12 people at a time. And so it's a, it's a, it's this, it's everywhere. And so Yusman, you know, that's what he wanted to do. And we said, well, what's your kingdom purpose? What, what do you think God wants to do? He says, he says, well, I want to, I want to do such quality work. And I love the way he said it because he didn't go off on some pseudo spiritual ramble. He said, I just want to do such quality work that everyone knows that I am a Christian. And that, boy, that sounds like gospel to me, right? That, that, that by your words, they'll know you, your works. 
And, uh, and so fast forward, this guy in a little shop in a little town, not a village, but a, a city of, I don't know, maybe 500,000 people in Indonesia, he's after a year of working, just doing the best he can, the imam of the local mosque stands up in the service and says to his congregation, there's only one person in this whole town, this whole city, that I would take my motorcycle to have worked on. And it is, it is the shop of Yusman the Christian. And that, that final phrase, I mean, think about it. You're getting your business endorsed by a Muslim holy man as a follower of Jesus in Indonesia, which is an incredibly violent country in some places. And so that whole city was impacted with the name of Christ because one brother was willing to submit his business to the glory of God and trust God to do it right. Those stories are, are everywhere. Thank you, uh, Mike. Mike, I'm turning again. The subject, um, Bill and I are working on a new course, and that's Thriving Amidst Adversities. And we're doing this new series, and we're asking our guests, have you had some adversities? Do you have some tips or some advice that we can maybe implement or, you know, that can help our listeners. Yeah, I'm smiling. I know people can't see that on a podcast, but I'm smiling because everybody at this table has experienced a lot of adversity. And we probably link it to some of the statements through much tribulation shall you enter the kingdom of God and think somehow that's part of it. Well, it is part of it. And I think particularly in terms of adversity, whether it's, you know, health or business or family or where internal pain, I mean, it's, it's a universal, number one, it's a global human experience. But the thing about the faith and business's mission in particular is that it is in this context that we begin to understand that no adversity is without purpose. And I don't mean, i expand on this just a little bit, if I may, I don't mean the traditional God causes all things to work together for our good. I know that, and that's true. Thank God it's true, and he does. He takes horrible things that we experience or locked doors or illnesses or you name it. He uses that for our good. That's who he is, right? But I, I actually believe that the, the message of Scripture is not just that he uses it for my personal good as much as he uses adversity to advance his, his good, his purpose. And so often— and I, I think you've seen this in your ministry and work overseas. You've seen it in China. It's in your hardest moments, the, the deepest moments of your own pain and suffering, that the people around you see that Jesus is real. And so I think that's a microcosm of, of suffering is sanctified by the fact that God, it's not without purpose. It's not without profit. God is going to use that, and he's using it for his honor. I, I used to think, Bill and I laughed about this earlier, I used to think I was the center of the story, right? This is about me and my walk with God. And, and you begin to realize, if, as God reorients your way of thinking, is that you're just a 20-second walk-on in the grand cosmic play of God's glory. Now, that 20 seconds, all I know, that's the only context I have. But you get an idea of, it's not about me. It can't be about me. Yes, I'm hurting. Yes, I'm in pain. But Paul describes something called the, the fellowship of his suffering. And how in pain I can enter into things with him that I cannot enter into any other way. And in that, A, I do know him better. Philippians chapter 3 tells us that very clearly. But the other is that people, other people around me see him more clearly. It's easy to talk about Jesus when I'm happy, happy, happy. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of Christianity we sell in the world. 
clap your hands, you'll be happy all the time. And Jesus says, well, you won't be happy all the time. You're going to hurt. And you're going to ha- but in the midst of that, you're going to have joy in life. And that's what I want people to see. So when I understand it right, it helps you to, it helps us yes. to see beyond that, that moment or those times of tribulation, of pain, of hurt, of, and to see the bigger picture and to see hope and to see, hey, it's, you know, through it all, I don't understand it, but trusting him, looking at him, I can spread hope is... is well, think about, think about, yeah, hope, hope to me is the operative word. Think about the fiery furnace in the book of Daniel, right? And the king threw in three people, but he looked in and he saw four people because Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus, was in the fiery furnace with them. Now, he didn't know what he saw, but he knew something wasn't right here. And I think that's what happens when we walk in hope. You know, hope is a confident expectation of good. And it's, it, it is just that. It is that expectation of blessing and good in the midst of any circumstance, good or bad. The world doesn't know hope. The world doesn't, they don't have hope. We talk too much about faith and a little bit too much about love and way too little about hope. And yet I think that's part of what the world is asking of us as Christians is, give, and Peter even says, give a reason for the hope that is in you. Not the faith that's in you, but the hope. How can you have confidence? So I think you nailed it right there with the word hope. Well, Bill, I know you as a wise man. <laughs> I'm learning from you. So uh, can you add something? What What are your thoughts? Oh, just a simple thought that when I face adversity, I have a choice. Do I face it alone or do I face it with him? So have this other person in the furnace with you. Yeah. He's promised to be with us, especially in the difficult times. But it's an actual decision on my part. I'm sort of programmed, because I'm an American, to do everything independently. It's one of the chief values of our culture, and it's subconscious to us. So we assume we'll go through this hardship alone, and then we try not to be mad at him for putting us there. But I've learned that if I can resist that and double down on the reality that he said he would never leave me, then I start processing the affliction differently. And I I will talk to him about it and not blame him, but I will share it with him. I'll ask him to come into it in such a way that we go through it together that it's not my personal experience. We had one really challenging time when we had just weeks to re-engineer an entire factory. And it would have been about a nine or ten month job normally. And we had six weeks to do it in. But when I went to work, I had a supernatural level of hope. Now that you mentioned that, Mike, that's really what it was. I was smiling all the time, and it just was crazy because there was no reason for that. But I distinctly had that feeling that he was in this. He was flooding us with ideas, production ideas, machinery, and stuff like that. And so going through that time of affliction with him made it an entirely different experience than if I'd been on my own. Well, there is hope for us in difficulty. There is um, hope in through our work, through our daily life. I really enjoyed this uh, this time with uh, two senior leaders in the BAM business. We're both looking group. around and say, who's at the table with you? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Mm. Uh, 
thank you, Mike, for for sharing with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great to be here. I see you want to say I, something I more. A, I have a point. Hey, I would love for our audience to be able to connect with Mike in his own podcast and in the other things that he's bringing to the kingdom. So, Mike, could you explain what that is? Thank you, Bill. Yeah. You're a good co-host. He's a good business partner. Um, yeah. So the, the, over the years, two things that, that we're doing. One is a podcast called Business's Mission. It's simply called the Business's Mission Podcast. Yeah. You you, uh, you you claim you were before me. Otherwise, I, you know, I've done I, that. I, I learned that the hard way. Claim the name. Uh, but it, it really is BAM Stories. And, and what we I do. I listen to it. Yeah, it's good. I, and I'm glad because we just interview some great people and say, tell us your story. And that's all it is. It's just people telling their story, how they discovered BAM, how they, how, what they've learned, what they're doing, what they see coming, what they struggled with. It, and the purpose, the whole purpose of the podcast is to be able to say through stories, you know what, if that person can do it, maybe I can do it. Because I'm really all about asking people, just join in. Join in the movement. You don't have to even understand it fully. Just join in and see what God does. So that's one. I love doing that. I've been blessed, and you will be a guest soon. You're on my list to get to. And the others, we've, we, if, this is an amazing sort of God thing. The, the summer before COVID, we had been doing business development and helping people start businesses all around the world. And the summer before COVID, the Lord led me to put all of this online in a, at a, a, in a site called thirdpathinitiative.com. And, and originally, it was just a, we didn't know it was coming. We thought, well, let's just make it accessible to more people. Well, when COVID hit, it became obvious why we had to put it online. And now it's continued. We've got basic, con, basic courses on how to start a business, how to grow a business, how to run a business biblically uh, in six languages. And we're adding two more languages this coming year, at least. And it's really exciting to know that we can reach into India, we can reach into Brazil or wherever we happen to be reaching into, um, just online, very affordable, very accessible, and using technology uh, to get the to get the basics out. It's a you know we we're the stuff you guys are doing on your courses. Uh, it's just a totally different depth, totally different level. Uh, Bam keys and all that goes. I love that what you're talking about. This is really basic. So you want to start a business to the glory of God? What do you do? And so that's what we're doing. Thank you for asking this question. Uh, yes, Bill. indeed. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> You're both are very welcome. <laughs> and indeed, you know, we are focusing how does the Spirit, or how does God, how does He manifest itself on the... So we do a, a little different angle, and all these different flavors are needed and are... Yeah, it's wonderful to be part of this bigger movement. So we will have it in the text also when the the Third Path Initiative writes, you will find it in the text. And uh, well, thank you for being here and sharing with us. Thank you. It's been most enjoyable. Thank you, Mike. It's great to see you. Thank you again, Heya. This was Gea Gord from the Netherlands. Remember to visit bemoves.com. And check out the course on Kingdom Mindsets for Business, Life and Work. And in two weeks' time, we will be back with another episode. Follow us in your favorite podcast app, so you won't miss the next one. <laughs>